Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. This week's episode is brought to you by AppCubes. Have you ever launched a new feature that went unused, waited days or even weeks to get that user data you requested? You're not alone. We're still way too dependent on developers. That's why product marketers around the world are calling AppCubes their new favorite product marketing tool. AppCues empowers product marketers to measure and improve product adoption without a developer. Brands like Amplitude, Privy, Fullstory, and Lyft use AppCues to track feature usage and engage users with in-app onboarding tours, feature announcements, and surveys. No code required. Visit AppCues.com to start your free trial today. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Anderson, Product Marketing Manager at Google. Kelly has carved out quite the niche for herself, not only as an incredibly skilled communicator and product marketer, but also as a cloud security expert. That expertise has seen her make an impact at two behemoths of tech, first at Microsoft and now at Google. In her role, Kelly is a product marketing steward for a suite of user and business protection services, including Recapture Enterprise, WebRisk, Security Command Center, and Anomaly Detection, to name just a few. Without a doubt, Google is one of the most ubiquitous companies on the planet. In fact, Google's offering spreads far beyond search, ads, and workplace documentation. The Google Cloud solution, the area that Kelly supports, helps customers build apps faster, make smarter business decisions, and connect people anywhere. During my conversation with Kelly, we dive deep into the surprisingly dynamic yet challenging world of product marketing in the cloud security space. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Kelly, how's it going? Hey, Mark, it's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Happy to have you here today. Got some, uh, some good questions lined up for you. I'm sure we'll have a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. So before we dive into all things security, can you give our listeners a bit of a background about you and your career so far? Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, when you introduced me, um, I currently lead product marketing for Google's uh, user protection services. So these are security products that protect businesses and users. Um, And before that, I was working on marketing products also in Google Ad Security around threat detection, uh, security analytics, uh, security management. And before Google, um, I was at Microsoft and I was working at Microsoft's cloud, Azure, uh, marketing a bunch of different security products there and as well as doing some business continuity products. So I've been in the cloud for a long time and I've been in security for a while. I love that. I've been in the cloud for some time. Sounds like you're kind of just like out there exploring the world. That That's great, Kelly. Thanks for giving that you know, very concise history. It obviously sounds like you've, you know, carved out quite a niche for yourself and I'll, we'll kind of explore that niche in just a moment here. Uh, and so before we do, you're not only an avid product marketer, you're also a podcaster and a contributor to Forbes. Just mind sharing a little bit more about the kind of content you're producing and, and kind of what drives you to, to get it out there. Absolutely. So as I hope a lot of our listeners know, um, one of the reasons I love being a product marketer is you get to be the voice of your customer and you get to be the face of your product to the market. Um, so uh, from the Google side, uh, Google Cloud has a podcast called none other than the Google Cloud Podcast. Um, so if you're not subscribing, I highly recommend that you subscribe. Um, and I was on that podcast just talking about um, the most recent product that I market, Recapture Enterprise, um, and just doing a deep dive on that. 
And then not to be outdone, we also have a Google Cloud security podcast, um, which I was on and just talking about the day in the life of being a marketer, um, working in cloud security, um, and also what it's like to be a marketer at Google. Um, so on the Forbes side, um, it has been an amazing channel for our marketing team to use to really showcase our thought leadership at Google. Um, because marketers, right, we like to think about you know, their channels, know our audiences. And so when we think about who goes to Forbes, who reads Forbes, it's typically a channel, right, for more senior and higher level folks, like whether they're like the C-level folks or like business decision makers. Um, but then again, like my grandma reads Forbes, right? Like anybody has access to Forbes. But um, if we want to do some strong storytelling that showcases our thought leadership, we know primarily, right, it's higher level decision makers that are using that channel. Um, so we'll craft some really strong thought leadership pieces for that. And so the first piece that I worked on this year, um, given that I work in the online fraud space, uh, was around why bots are the biggest threat to businesses today and how they're not prepared to handle it. Um, but don't worry, I gave them a solution, right? I'm a marketer, you know, there's always like a call to action. Um, and then that led to another piece that I wrote in August about this, this debate um, that we have in the security world around usability and security. I think that a lot of our buyers as well as our implementers have kind of just unfortunately accepted that like, if I'm using a security product, like it's gonna be hard, like there's gonna be a lot of alerts or I'm gonna be like piecemealing solutions together. Um, and that's totally false. Like, do not let any marketer convince you otherwise. You can have top-notch security, um, but also still use a product that's easy for you as the professional to use, but that also isn't disruptive to your business and your customers. Um, and so we're really proud of that and the work that we're doing around that in Google Cloud. You know, obviously it sounds like you're, you're turning out some great content and it's really kind of resonating with your target audiences. I'm curious, how do you approach identifying what some of those content topics are going to be? Are you looking at, you know, you mentioned, you know, your buyers and implementers, you're looking at specific personas and what kind of content they're looking to consume. How do you come up with an idea, the ideas um, for that content in such a, again, like a niche space, um, like security? Yeah. So I, I love this question because I feel like it gets to the heart of product marketing, right? And our superpower, again, going back to like being the voice of the customer. And so one of the tools that I use to really get into the mindset of understanding like my target personas, my target verticals, um, their pain points is market research, right? Like I feel like as product marketers, um, we should value it. Not Our businesses do not necessarily always value it and fund it. So it can be hard, right, to get that research to support our market research. But it's very evident, right? If we don't do the right market research, we don't know who we're targeting, we don't know what they care about, like that is reflected in our revenue. Like I'm such a big believer in that. So I always, when I'm creating my go-to-market plan, that's the first thing that I do, right? Because the messaging, the positioning, the content that I create, like none of that matters if I don't know who I'm talking to and what they care about. And so after doing some robust research and Right now, because I do marketing in the B2B or business to business space, 
Um, we work with different agencies to produce that market research to just have a third party because as you can imagine, most people don't want to say like Google sucks to a person who works in marketing at Google, right? So it's a little bit, you know, more detached um, or we'll work with different analyst firms to also help us conduct that research. And then to your point, like once we have that research, then we can go, okay, got it. Like here are the target personas for our product. Um, here are the roles, right, that we should be looking for. Like, let's say we are creating a campaign and we want to go after like certain targets or we're getting leads. We want to look at those targets. Here are the verticals um, here or just in just even more like segmentation. Like this is how big our businesses are. Like, do we care about enterprise or select or corporate or SMB, like those smaller businesses? Um, and then that just gives us so much leeway to create meaningful content. So like if we know that they're um, more of a business practitioner, right, then we know, okay, we know what they care about. We know where they go. Forbes is going to be the right place to have that conversation or they're an implementer. Um, there's other channels that are more appropriate to reach them at. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's some really good insights just in how you approach tackling some of those big product marketing problems beyond just content that you touched on. I just want to quickly revisit the first one being, and I know this is a mistake that I've made personally in my own marketing career, um, you know, as a, as a junior marketer and kind of learning things is the power of research as an equalizer and removal of a yes. lot of internal biases, right? I'm, I'm sure we've yes. all, you know, taken on a new solution or a new project or found ourselves in a new product marketing role. And there's a lot of, you know, strongly held internal beliefs about the market, the customer, your own solution. And, you know, oftentimes when you go to propose a, let's say it opinion that doesn't necessarily go with the existing held belief, you can get shot yeah. down as, you know, oh, this is just Mark and Kelly and marketing. They've got their own kind of agenda. They're trying to move their own metrics. They want to get this off the ground. I know what yeah. I know. So I'm not going to really pay much mind to what they have to say. If you're able to leverage an external research partner to come in and say, no, like mm -hmm. we don't really have any skin in this game. We don't really care what the insights are. Or, or what decisions you ultimately decide um, based on these insights. Yeah. This is just what we know. This is what the research tells us. It's a great way to kind of, again, force everyone to think objectively about the solutions or the problems rather that they're trying to solve and the best way to do that. So I couldn't agree with you more that beyond just content, like how important taking the time to do that research, especially at the outset, is to making sure you're building a strong product marketing function, um, go to market, uh, strategy, personas, whatever you're looking to leverage that research for. Absolutely. And I think another thing, right, that we know as product marketers is this is a very cross-functional role. And I think it's one of the many reasons why myself, you, like many other people love it, but a lot of times, right, so we're, we're on a product team and we've got technical stakeholders, like whether they're engineers and product managers, we have sales leads, we have UX, and having that data exactly to your point makes our argument like as to why we're advocating for certain things with the product so much stronger because like you said yeah it's not just like kelly and mark you know kite high in the sky like we want this because it feels good but we're like no we actually have like tangible concrete data that is supporting why we're advocating for a certain direction for the product or a certain feature and then what I've seen and experienced is like, I really do believe like my product teams, they want to build awesome products, right? They want to build things that customers love. Um, I don't think there's anything like more 
depressing to a team's morale than like building something that's like not working, nobody likes, like reading all these mean tweets, right? So that really also helps, like not only does it help us show our value as marketers, but it really helps the overall team feel confident that like, wow, I'm actually building something that is useful, that's in demand, and that is also like maybe differentiated or cutting edge. Like this has not been a problem that's been solved yet. And we as a team get to solve that. And like, how cool is that? Absolutely. And on the topic of awesome products, it seems like, you know, so far in your career, you've had the opportunity and privilege to work on some pretty awesome products in the security space, which as I mentioned is, you know, in the broad landscape of of B2B product marketing, relatively niche. I'm curious, was there anything about security that pulled you in? Was it just an opportunity that, you know, presented itself that you couldn't say no to? What was it that, you know, really drew you towards it as an area of focus as a product marketer? Um, So I started working in cloud um, because when I had joined cloud around 2016, um, it was like new, it was scary, you know, it was uncharted. Like we had so many different businesses saying like, I'm never going to go to the cloud. Like I'm never going to use this. So like cloud itself was this uncharted territory. um, And there were like two realities in cloud going on. So when I first joined cloud, I went to the first like reality or model, which was just, we were just so eager to get people to the cloud. We were literally trying to do like lift and shift scenarios. Like if you have done this on premises, same thing, but it's just in the cloud. Um, And so those were the products that I was working on. Um, So business continuity products, those are backup and disaster recovery. So backup is just simply making sure that you've got a copy of your data. And disaster recovery is making sure that if one of your data centers fail, there's another data center that's running so that your business keeps going. And so that was not a revolutionary concept, right? Like that had been in the market for a while, um, but of course doing it in cloud was scary and exotic and, you know, a a lot of, there's a lot of fear, right? It It was very psychological. And so security, right? The second reality that was kind of happening in cloud was just like, it's brand new, like it's never been done before. Like there absolutely was security and products and practices to secure your on-premises environment. And there was definitely some lift and shift of that. Like, hey, if you did this on-premises, we want you to do the same thing, but in the cloud. But then because cloud itself is a totally different environment, there were new ways that you needed to secure the cloud. So I was very interested in that because I knew like, Security is kind of like telling, like a doctor telling you, you need to eat more broccoli. Like, you know, you need to eat more broccoli, but you're like, nah, I'm good, right? Like people have been told forever, like you need to do this for security, you need to do that. But cloud presented really a unique opportunity to change the way that people were doing security, but also keeping some things the same. And so I just was like, wow, this seems like such a cool opportunity. And like, you're right, like I did not have a security background. I did not know anything about security except like, it seems important. If I'm a business, I probably should have it. But I believed in myself and I believed like, you know what, I'm smart, I'm capable. If I put my mind to it, I can learn about it. And so um, there was a very small, like I was, the first hire for the cloud screen marketing team at Microsoft. Um, so I just went for it and I got it. And as you can tell, like I've been having a blast because I'm still in cloud security a couple of years later. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it, very indicative of, for anybody in product marketing, you might find yourself with an opportunity that, again, might not seem as like the, I don't know, maybe mainstream is not the right word, but the yeah. stereotypical roles that a product marketer might find themselves or solutions they might find supporting. But if if you can find an opportunity that uh, obviously you're passionate about, which I, it's very obvious to me that you quite are um, passionate about, you know, cloud security, um, what that can do for you, not in terms of just like your, your motivation and willingness to show up to work every day, but also for your career and the opportunities that kind of trickle out. And I think what you kind of just outlined and how you've approached your career is very indicative of how I think product marketers should approach, again, their own solutions, their own work. And it's like, look for that next opportunity that almost like that bleeding edge or those shifts in standard ways of doing things and what that shift is going to look like and, and asking yourself, like, is this something that I can hitch my wagon to? Is this something that I can, you know, carve out a space for myself and, you know, really say like, I want to own product marketing for this emerging space and be seen as a thought leader. And again, a lot of the content that you're putting out, I think speaks to your ability to do exactly that. So I commend you for it. Oh, thanks, Mark. That just like made my day, but I, I totally agree. Like, I think that as product marketers, one of the attributes that makes us super successful, or I think that draws people to the role is like, we are risk takers because I think we always have to walk that fine line between like maintaining the status quo, but also leading customers on a vision, right. To the future of like where our product will be. And for all the product marketers listening, right. Like this is really hard to do because change is hard. A lot of it is psychological, right? Like, you know, forget your product. Like, again, we're, we're human beings. Um, and so I think that from like a lot of times we think about marketing more as a art rather than a science. And that has never felt more true to me as a product marketer when I'm in these situations or like what you're saying about contemplating, like, what do I do next? Or what is the product that I want to be marketing where you're faced with this reality of, okay, I want to, you know, keep the product um, and growing awareness for what value it brings now, but then also trying to lead customers to where we're going. Yeah. And I think one of the inherent challenges of working in such a technical space is how do you make that journey approachable and digestible for people who might not necessarily have that same level of technical awareness or comfort especially if they're part of the buying decision. So what that leads me to is really my next question. And that's, you know, how do you approach something so technical as cloud security and make it approachable and digestible so that anyone involved in that buying process feels confident that they're making the right decision or that they at least know what they need to be considering when they're making those kinds of buying decisions. Yeah. So this, this to me gets to like the heart of product marketing, like our biggest superpower, which is storytelling, right? Like, I think there's always that tension on product teams, right? Between product marketing and technical stakeholders, but also externally, right? With technical stakeholders and non-technical stakeholders of wanting to tell you everything that's great about the product and how it works, but also balancing like, but how do we get there? Right. And so that's to me what's so crucial and critical about storytelling is it is the gateway to getting your customers interested into your product because storytelling is all about connecting with our with our target audiences at the deepest levels. Right. It's about talking to our customers like people. Right. And so that leads me to my next point. Right. Like strong storytelling 
to do strong storytelling, I believe that we have to talk to our customers, technical or non-technical, like they are real human beings. Um, and this goes for security and, and beyond because in security, we have so many different types of roles. Like we actually have the security practitioners all the way to the security buyers to like the CISO. And it can be so easy because there's so much going on, right? Like security is important. I got to figure out all these things um, to get so complicated and to get so verbose. But this is where great marketing comes in because we keep the language conversational. We keep things simple and clear so that our customers understand what are our key messages and therefore like it resonates with them. And so they're motivated to go do the call to action, which is also clear. And then I think great storytelling and then great conversational language also involves strong customer empathy and this even touches to our market research, right? If you have done your research and you know who your customer is, you know their pain points, like you know what's keeping them up at night, there is a, then you can talk to those problems by positioning your product to be a solution to that, right? And you, and I think great storytelling involves empathy. And I think being able to talk to your customers like they're real people involves empathy, right? Because you're literally, whether it's through research or also tapping into your own humanness, like talking to somebody and saying, hey, like, I get you, I get your challenges. I know what you're up against. I know that, you know, this isn't making your boss happy, but I have something for you that will make your life and your business's life and your customer's lives a lot better. And when you do that, like this, I think about it right in these three parts of storytelling, of conversational language and empathy, like technical or non-technical, you will be able to connect with them, lure them into the product. And then once they're bought in, then you can start to do a deep dive on technical details, ranging from, you know, how to set up the product to like how certain specs in the product work. Um, but before we get, you know, more technical and more robotic, we got to start at a human level. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure that works for, you know, obviously a, a large portion of your, your target market because obviously the products you've been, you know, solutioning and, and supporting have, have been quite successful. Um, what do you, how do you respond to, you know, someone who's along the buying journey who might look at that and think like, well, this is just marketing fluff, right? Like I need to know the hard facts. I need to know the technical specs to your point. How do you balance that need to legitimize your solution as like, no, like this is technically sound and this is going to tick all those boxes that you're expecting against that need to draw people in. Um, cause I, I think, you know, like any marketer, we often get accused of, of being fluffy of, of, of yeah. not, you know, keeping our feet on the ground as it were. And that's why people love and sometimes hate marketers. So I'm curious how you balance that in, yes. in your role as a product marketer. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is so true. Like the number of times I feel like I've heard like, you know, marketing is just fluff. Like, I think we could both retire, right? Like we would have, we would have enough. <laughs> um, but I think the most, like first and foremost, the most powerful resource I use to combat marketing being fluff are customer references, right? Because it's like, yeah, marketing, it's my job to tell you all day how awesome this product is. But if I can get a customer that's in my target vertical or in my target segment or, or in my you know, target geo 
to sing my product's praises, oh yeah, like I am gonna, you know, use that as much as I can. But what's also really powerful about that is it can also influence my target audience's competitors as well. So like, let's just take this example. Um, you know, let's say Walmart or Target, right? Like a big retailer is endorsing a product that I use. The other retailers, if they see that, you know, Target, Walmart, they're using this product. And by using this product, that means they're gonna acquire more customers, which means they're gonna make more money, which means they're gonna have more brand loyalty, which means, you know, they are like, there's so many benefits that they're also gonna go, hmm, maybe I should be considering this product. And so that to me has been like time and time again, like whether it's you're working with a technical stakeholder or you're going after a really big segment in your target audience, if you have, you know, again, customer reference that's got a great story, that's conversational, has a lot of empathy for what that particular challenge is for that particular use case or user, you're golden. Oh, I would imagine. And I think I just saw recently you posting something on LinkedIn related to, I think it was re your recapture solution and, and how Etsy is leveraging it um, in their businesses. And I think I don't even work in, you know, security um, in any significant way, but I immediately saw the words like Etsy. I know who they are. I know what that solution is. And I've engaged with solutions like recaptures before. So like I was able to quickly make that connection. It's like, oh, I could see, like I kind of, without actually having to like read and get really into the weeds of the article and its content, like I kind of understood like, oh, well, if a company like Etsy is using it, then I'm sure other large, you know, platform-based businesses would probably benefit from it as well. So to your point of getting those references totally. from, you know, customers in your target verticals or your target geos, like how powerful that can be even to people who aren't necessarily in your, you know, your target market uh, and the value that can bring. So yeah, I can definitely see why that would be an effective way to approach, uh, you know, speaking to those audiences. Yeah. So I, I, I did want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier and I'm, you know, for listeners of the podcast, they probably know this. I'm a big fan of analogies and I really liked the analogy you gave around, you know, security being like a doctor telling you to eat your broccoli, right? Like it's almost <laughs> like one of those things where, you know, you need to do, but until something bad happens, you don't really think about it. It's kind of like insurance in that way. That's at least what I equate mm -hmm. a lot of those kinds of solutions like security to be. And I think recently, you know, I don't know how far back you want to go, probably like the last, you know, four to six, 10 years or so, there's been these instances of, you know, businesses not taking security seriously enough, which has led to some pretty significant repercussions for not just their business, but their customers more importantly. So I'm curious, as a product marketer, how do you balance that, you know, fear-based approach that you could potentially go down to make more of a compelling yeah. story without actually like scaring customers in a, in a way or like not going more negative um, from a, from a view of like, well, if you're not doing this, something bad's going to happen. Cause I think very easily it sounds at first like a compelling way to go in, but I'm sure it might not necessarily mm -hmm. always be the best approach. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like the mindset that I take, you take, like a lot of product marketers take is it's about being proactive, whether it's in security or whatever product that you're marketing versus being reactive. And so like in the security scenario, you're totally right. Like how many times do we look at the news and we're like, oh man, like this healthcare system, there is a data breach or, oh man, it was Black Friday and like Best Buy, all of these bots hoarded their PS5s and now a ton of people don't have PS5s, right? 
So that is real. That's a reality. But instead of kind of capitalizing right on that moment, right, like you're saying, largely playing into fear, the conversations that we like to have with customers and the way that we like to market is like putting them in the position of leadership, of credibility, um, and making them look like the security superstars that they are. And so telling stories around like, we know that you know that these different types of bad events, bad actors can happen. And so to put you in a position of success, right, we encourage you to use these products so that instead of responding to breaches, instead of responding to incidents, you are using that time to actually like one, do your job, like right, what you signed up to do because you're not like responding to all of these incidents. You have customers that are loyal to your brand and love using your products you have revenue that is consistent and will continue to grow because you've built that loyalty. So we really, yeah, it, it's all about focusing on, you know, being proactive, helping set up our customers for success and really focusing on what security will do for their business versus what a, like what a business without security could look like, what it would mean. Um, and then besides fear, just continuing to make our customers feel like, oh man, now I gotta be like reactive and on edge. Yeah, I think that's a, a really intelligent approach. And you know, I think by being proactive in a way and talking through some of those examples, I think it's pretty easy for the person on the other end of that to like draw the, the dotted line to like, okay, well, I know these are the benefits of being proactive about security. And like, I've probably witnessed firsthand what being reactive looks like. So to your point, it's almost like you don't even really need to say those things because they're probably going to come across that organically or just in, you know, in the event, uh, or not in the event that it happens to them, hopefully it doesn't, but just in, in going through the, the exploration of, of potential solutions and, and what might happen if you don't have one in place. So yeah, I think that's a really smart way to go about it. Awesome. Well, you know, Kelly, this has been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Before I wrap up, I do want to ask uh, my final question, which is one I asked to all of our guests. If you had the opportunity to be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service that you could choose, I'm curious what that would be and, and why. Um, so obviously Google and obviously Recaptcha, right? Because uh, they pay my bills, right? <laughs> but let's say <laughs> we lived in a world where there wasn't Google, there was no Recaptcha, and like that would just be a terrible world. Because like think about all of the online fraud that would be happening. No, I'm just kidding. But I would have to say the Vitamix Professional Series 750 by Vitamix because I'm a really big cook. And so you get all of these appliances in one Vitamix. So you can use it to puree, make smoothies, make lattes, make soups. Like literally you can put any food item in this blender and magic will happen. And what I also love, right, like being a big cook is usually you have so many dishes that you have to clean up after you're done cooking. And there is a setting on this Vitamix. It just cleans itself. And I'm like, hello, technology, right? Like you talk about using technology to like empower people, make them more productive, give them a better quality of life. Um, so I literally use it every day because of, again, my love for cooking, but just like how easy it is to use and clean up. So Vitamix, if you're listening, you want to send me anything, I would not be mad. <laughs> I, I love how specific you are with that answer. Like 
honestly, I've heard a couple of different answers so far. Usually it's around like a specific company or like a broad set of solution. I love how you're just like, no, this is a product that like I is such a fundamental part of my life and such a key part of something that I love to do. So I appreciate that. And yeah, like I'm sure there are customers out there who say the same thing about Google reCAPTCHA and, and all the benefits that it provides them. So it's all about product marketing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure it's <laughs> if all not, about, I'll find your meme tweets on Twitter. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all about, um, you know, if you are given the opportunity to finding those solutions to be the product marketer for that, you know, it's always great if it, it can have a real impact on your day to day or, or a product that you, you care deeply about. But if you don't find yourself in that situation, think about it the other end. Like there are customers that you were serving who have that same level of excitement and passion. Maybe not the same, because obviously Kelly, you're very passionate about the Vitamix, um, but very, very, um, you know, your solution plays a big part in their day-to-day. So if you can put yourself in their shoes and see it from their perspective, you'll get that same kind of joy and, and um, fulfillment out of, out of what you're doing as a product marketer. Well said. Awesome. Well, yeah, like I said, Kelly, this has been great. I've really enjoyed, you know, the, the last little bit here chatting with you. I'm sure we could keep chatting, you know, until, uh, until the end of the day here, but we got to wrap up. So what I'll do is we'll end it here. But before I let you go, you know, if anybody listening does want to get in, t- um, in touch with you, maybe to swap Vitamix recipes, maybe to uh, chat all things security, <laughs> how can they do that? Um, so please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter. So you can find me at Kelly Anderson, my name together, and then 93. Yeah. And please don't send uh, Kelly any mean tweets about recapture. He doesn't want to hear them. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thanks so much for your time, Kelly. Uh, again, I really enjoyed this and I'm sure uh, we'll be hearing from you again very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you to everyone for listening. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.